Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? This is the first weekend in a long time coming up where the Bearcats and the Bengals do not play on the same day or close to the same time to make it almost near impossible to want to focus on a mediocre basketball team when you have a football team that is for the second year in a row advanced to the AFC championship game to take on the Kansas City Mahomes, right? I'm pumped. And honestly, I'm, I'm not really, I am pumped, but yeah, I get to watch the Bearcats more than likely get stomped by Houston. Meanwhile, I have to also suffer through Twitter's insufferable Xavier fan base with the fantastic year they're having. And if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, they might be beating the pants off UConn right now, or giving up a 17 point lead and going back up 10. Who cares? Cincinnati Bengals, AFC Championship game. We're going to Burrowhead. I don't care. You want some bulletin board material? If that's what you need, Kansas City, take it. All right. We're going to come in there. We're going to sharpen our, our stones. And we're going to throw burrow arrow right through your hearts. And is it a great day? Are we are we going to be? Oh, it's a great day to be a Cincinnati sports fan. My bad, guys. My bad. Hummer. Hummer. <laughs> Hummer. Give the people what they want. It's a great day. To hear them bangles prowl in. <laughs> and to be a Bearcat fan. Hummer's got Hummer's got bangle fever and reasonably so. I do too. It's um it's honestly well said. Until the corny burrowhead joke at the end. Um, I thought that your your opening rant was spot on. The Bengals are sending shockwaves. The shockwaves that have been sent through Cincinnati for the past two plus years um, ever since Burrow came onto the scene, looked good, but then really bounced back from the injury at full strength, took the Bengals to the Super Bowl last season that sent shockwaves through Cincinnati. There was an element of magic to that run. There was, it, it was memorable, but it was also surprising. It was unexpected. And for this season's different. To put it bluntly, this season is different. Now it feels expected. It's felt inevitable. And the shockwaves that I just described going through Cincinnati are now rippling across the nation. You're seeing national radio hosts begin to swoon in, in a way that's totally reasonable over Joe Burrow. Rather than talking about Joe Burrow as a top five or a top three quarterback, that conversation is starting to shift to Hey, are we going to start talking about Joe Burrow potentially being better than Pat Mahomes? Like, is that what's happening? And it's I just think you're wrong. Why can't we talk? We can't talk like that yet. Carson Palmer is clearly the greatest quarterback that's ever played football in Cincinnati. Well, we're not going to make <laughs> we're not going to make the podcast an inside joke. But I do want to I want to open the podcast with this. I want to open the podcast with a question, and we're gonna we are going to do some Bengals talk shamelessly. It's exciting. We're Bengals fans. Cincinnati's on fire. It is the topic du jour across the nation. And I want to ask you this. A, a friend of ours posed it. He is an out-of-towner. He is from California, uh, maybe by way of Chicago. The man has, has lived an interesting life. Our friend Boroff. Shout out to Boroff. Speaks Great Chinese. Guy. Right. He's he's a he's actually a for you guys know too, like not only is he from California, though, he is in my mind, I would call him a Bearcats fan. He follows our team. He regularly texts us about the team. He went to the playoff game. He went to the Arkansas he, game with with your brother and I. Went to the Arkansas game. Went to the went to the game against Alabama. Uh, regularly tries to meet up with us around these and rally around us with these sporting events. But to, yeah, what what did he post? And I want you to answer for yourself. I don't oh, yeah. don't don't answer on behalf of other people. But I want I want to pose this to you. Have you guys embraced the generational superstar feeling? Sometimes it can be hard to enjoy nice things when you've never had the chance to before. 
How do you how do you react to that? What's your thoughts on that statement? All right. So this is this is going to sound probably a little bit too of like New York arrogance, if you would have. I haven't lived here long, two years, but I'm sitting in the office today. And most of the people that I work with are not native New Yorkers. They're from all over the country. They have their fandoms, allegiances elsewhere. No one in no Giants fans in sight. If anything, they're all they're all Jets fans. If I do have some some local New York flavor, some Jerseyans. Uh, but all I'm hearing is the same conversation you allude, you alluded to is is Joe Burrow better than Mahomes, and they're having that argument, and you're hearing them pull pull the sayings from what what other people, what other uh, what other you know talking heads are, are are doing, and and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is really great. I'm enjoying the hell out of this. I wear my Bengals shirt to work. Like normally, I wear a suit, but. My my latest thing is after the Bengals win, I wear a court a Bengals quarter zip over a white shirt with a tie in lieu of a jacket for my suit, right? And I wear it with pride around the Citibank corporate headquarters. And I get, you know, every once in a while you get a little whisper of a hooday. Well, I got someone, you know, kind of shit talking me about, you know, because they're a Bills fan. And I'm starting to get this sense of like, immense pride but also in my mind i'm like starting to think like at what point do i actually get to feel that this is what patriots fans felt for the last 10 years right that we are now back to back in the asc championship game is this my expectation am i allowed to have this expectation as a fan am i allowed to sit there and say every year from here on out if we don't make the afc championship game is it a bust and that's how i am starting to kind of feel because Joe Burrow to me, and not just Joe Burrow, like the whole team, we got snubbed and well, we call it a snub or not, but no, no, no individual players made the all NFL squad. But to me, I think that's good because like we love the bulletin board material, but two, to me, it's saying the team is just filled with good players. It's a bunch of players that have to play together as a team in order to achieve great things on the offensive side of the ball. No, hang on, we, hang on, hang on, hang on. You're you're going you're going a million miles a minute on the Bengals. We're talking about the feeling that having the best quarterback in the I'm in getting the there. NFL gives you. What I'm getting get, there. What that's different because you're comparing it to the Patriots. Patriots is a fucking twenty year dynasty. That's a right. different thing. We are not there yet. It's actually much more comparable to to the opponent we're facing in the AFC Championship. Game. I, I think that's I think that's fine. I'm saying my point is what I'm sensing about Joe Burrow and how I'm feeling. Is that, is this the start? Is this the beginning of what we're about to witness as being a 10-year-ish Bengals dynasty? Are we actually going to witness the opposite of the 90s and see just great Bengals teams roll through here for the next 10 years? Because Joe Burrow is in his third year in back-to-back AFC Championship games. So that's where I'm feeling. I'm like, I am legitimately starting to get that feeling like I'm excited this is this is it. What we've actually wanted is here. It's it's not it's an inev- it's to me it's inevitable that a Super Bowl is going to happen in Cincinnati, whether it's this year, next year, the following year. A Super Bowl will happen in this city as long as Joe Burrow is the quarterback of this team. I when he asked that question, I actually think that the answer is a resounding yes. I think that. I know for me it is, and I think that for the Cincinnati community and the fan base, I don't get the sense that people are having a hard time enjoying this and appreciating the fact that Joe Burrow's built different than any other quarterback in the history of this franchise. He, when you say you're getting this feeling, I I actually think I would, I don't, I don't doubt that you actually have already had it. You've had that, that feeling since this Bengals team went to the Super Bowl, came back, started slow after appendicitis, and have have now ripped off however many consecutive wins. This Joe Burrow has has created a culture around Cincinnati Bengals football that is not about I'm now hopeful this team can win a championship. It's not about I'm now hopeful we can compete with the best quarterbacks in the in the league and compete against the best teams in the league and potentially pull off an upset and maybe get a playoff win. No, we got our first playoff win 
in in umpteen years, 30 years last last season. We then got another one. And then we got another one and made the Super Bowl. He's followed that up, welcoming Baltimore to our home field in a game that certainly didn't go our way. The offense, in, in terms of how emphatically you'd like to win, but it's a, it's an AFC North game. We then go to the road to Buffalo with the shorthanded offensive line. And not for a second did I pick up the energy from Cincinnati that we were scared or uncertain or unsure that Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals would win that game. No, there was immense confidence. There was expectations. And sure enough, he went in there and we kicked Buffalo's ass up and down the field. It's it's a different kind of feeling, Hummer. It's a different kind of feeling. And I, I want to encourage people. I don't think I even have to encourage them for the most part. I think most people understand. Just enjoy it. Let it ride. This guy's the real deal. And we're we're looking at potentially, you know, I told you earlier, this is he's in the top tier. There's two guys in the top tier, and they're playing each other on Sunday. Uh, I'm trying to say this because this was I remember I remember saying this when getting so pissed off when we draft like when we were going through the whole process of drafting Joe Burrow, right? We were not only watching what we were doing, right? Let's make sure we don't win too many games to lose the number one draft pick. But then we were watching other teams. We were actually legitimately watching Miami, watching Miami play Washington, and Miami going for two, literally missing the extra two-point play. So Washington wins, giving us a lock on the number one draft pick, which being being Joe Burrow, being pumped, right? We knew this is what was going to happen. But I remember the next year. I remember November 22nd, I think it was the date that Joe Burrow tore his knee. And I remember specifically, basically calling this, I, well, the season was done, but I boycotted the scene. I boycotted watching any Bengals games the rest of that year. I couldn't do it. I was so irritated that we let this guy, Joe Burrow, get hurt and just, just, just completely like missing the mark on having an offensive line that gives guys so much protection and letting that investment go, go to waste, if you would, being so upset about it. And then the following year, Right. Obviously, this is the Super Bowl or the next year Super Bowl run. Incredible. But once again, having this offensive line of like and just getting frustrated at times that like, oh, my God, we're going to get him hurt again. Well, I remember actually, the, the, the week of the I, Super Bowl, the week, those two weeks off, the, the narrative was shifting to Pat McAfee talking about the the lack of an indoor practice facility. And a lot of the criticism. Yeah, you were on of, that one. You were on of, that one. A lot of the criticisms of the old Mike Brown regime are bubbling up. And let's I got to be honest with fans. They should. There should there should be criticism and skepticism of the franchise, and there should be a demand that feeling you're talking about protect our quarterback, protect the greatest player in the history of this franchise, protect him, please, for the love of God. And that's a totally acceptable and a reasonable feeling to have. And so I see now this year it does feel different. And honestly, with Katie Blackburn, operations are better. Like there things are trending quickly in the right direction and the franchise is reinventing itself and rebranding itself. And it takes a couple years, year one going to the super bowl. It did not take on a national level, getting back to the AFC championship game. You're starting to see signs that people are looking at the Cincinnati Bengals, not as bungles, not as Mike Brown. No, this is a Joe Burrow led franchise. That's going to be a staying power in the AFC, which means vying for AFC titles and Super Bowl appearances and Super Bowl victories for years to come. That is literally what this man has brought to Cincinnati. And so if you're a fan, treasure that. Treasure that feeling. Treasure it and, and think about it this way, too. How hard it is sometimes to hit on a first round draft pick. How many times you get those first round draft pick, whether it's first or 32nd that they become up to be a bust. And right now, I don't know if, I don't remember what, what T Higgins was, but I'm just going to go the, the three draft picks that have been studs for Cincinnati. 19 T Higgins, right? Joe Burrow, Jamar chase, three studs that have hit. And on top of that, Taylor Britt been phenomenal coming in as a backup may, may, may earn a starting role. T. Higgins right? was the 33rd overall pick, first pick of the second round. So close, close. But once again, going to that point of how hard it is to hit on some of these types of players, and the Bengals did it. They did it. Like, we literally hit the jackpot having two 
number one wide receivers through the draft. I'm well, that's where so that's like stoked to sort of bring it into what the topic du jour of the week. And there's been a lot of chatter online about Buffalo's reaction to losing to Cincinnati. It's caused that franchise to have to sort of look inward and reevaluate exactly how they're going about things. Obviously, that that team came into the season preseason favorites, expectations sky high. They got knocked out of the playoffs last year in one of the most epic football games you will ever see. Pat Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, back and forth, both played basically perfect games, and, and Pat Mahomes got the ball last. That's essentially what what the the epic who gets the flip of the coin in playoff, right? But but Dable goes off to the New York Giants. He's now the head coach over there. So Josh Allen loses that offensive coordinator. His turnovers and and I would say looseness with the ball starts raising its its ugly head again this season. Obviously, there's the Demar Hamlin um, cloning incident, and and now you've got you know that franchise looking at itself and saying we just got smoked on our home field. We play for this home field advantage. We got smoked. So their their GM comes out end of season exit exit um, interviews talking to the press and he's talking about basically throwing shade at the Bengals like well yes, tell me tell me tell me about it there's there's pain you got to go through to get a Jamar Chase and it's not as simple as just picking them off trees you got to really suck I don't want to suck that bad so t- talk did to you me look about, at like, did you look at the the new I I saw that I heard that comment that he made and I had to go to Football Reference. And I had to go and look up the Bills like record, right? They went to four straight Super Bowls, lost them all, and then essentially fell off the face of the earth in their division, finishing second once over a span of like 12 or 13 years. No higher than third, finishing last in their division multiple times. You did go through it. The Bengals went through it. The Bills aren't some high and mighty franchise that have been the the model of excellence. Unfortunately, that unfortunately for us, that goes to a franchise probably called the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you're looking for like a model franchise over their entire existence, that's a that's a franchise that's been well run throughout most of its existence. The Bills have had years. So when he says that, I'm like, dude, honestly, there's a reason why the Bills and Bengals have kind of this kindred spiritedness. Kind of the same. A lot of I pain. Like, I don't like fighting with pain. Buffalo. I don't like yeah. fighting with Buffalo. Buffalo is my second favorite AFC team. Having lived there for a couple of years, I love the Small Bills market. fan base. We love uh, Mike from Republic of Cincinnati. You know, we adore that man. And I generally adore the Bills fan base and that franchise. I, I'm just sorry that, you know, you ran into the buzzsaw that is is Joe Burrow, the Cincinnati <laughs> Ooh, Bengals like franchise. <laughs> and, you know, you do you do have to suck bad to get picks like Joe Burrow. You do have to suck bad to get picks like Jamar Chase. Dare we say you, all, you also had we... to suck bad. You also had to suck bad to get Sammy Watkins. All right. So it doesn't, <laughs> it's not a hundred percent certainty, Hummer. That's that's all I'm trying to say. You know, in the back of my mind, I did have watching that game. I'm like, so oh, Sammy Watkins. This is gonna be the because every time that I have drafted Sammy Watkins in a fantasy football league, he has either gone off on you. Or or Travis and Co. But we're we're gonna get out of that. Uh, I'm sitting here. <laughs> Why'd you have to bring up Sammy Watkins? That guy. He's, well, he's an I, enigma. <laughs> I do I do want to get into some Bearcats talk. I got a few really spicy items for you that I want to bring up and get your reactions to and and talk through. Before we do though, any any final thoughts that you want to share on the Kansas City matchup, the Patrick Mahomes ankle situation. Is his brother still TikToking? I don't know. He seems he's not in the news as much as I would expect. Where are we at with the this game, this AFC championship? I, game? I legitimately I get home, I'm talking to Julia, and and she goes, Yeah, I was talking to our like chief medical officer or something at, at Mount Sinai, and they got into talking about talking about the game and, and football. And, and the doctor goes, Yeah, that that Pat Mahomes ankle, it's high as a kite right now. <laughs> and I was like, Damn, that's good. Wow. Well, and, and it and it will be high as a kite on game day. And so if you're if you're a fan of the Bengals and if you're an NFL fan and plan on tuning in, go ahead and expect Patrick Mahomes to do some great things in this game. Like don't go, go listen to go listen to Kelsey's podcast and hear some of the stories they tell when they have guys on. They literally talk about the the magic or the horrors, if you would, 
of what the NFL will do to make sure you feel no pain from wearing colostomy bags while you play. It's not just the NFL. The players don't want to feel oh. pain because the players want to play. Patrick no, I get that. Wants to play. I'm saying like they go through horrific things to make sure that they can play sometimes that we don't even know because that's not something you're going to broadcast to the public. Hey, you know, this guy has an IV dripping on him while he's actually playing. No, they're not going to brag. He He's going to have some crazy ass medicine in his leg. He's not going to feel pain. It's still going to be a high ankle sprain. He's going to play. He's going to be Pat Mahomes. Good. Bring it. Best thing At we the end can of the do. Day, best thing we can do is why were we excited about dogs playing? on him. Why were we excited about playing the Bills on that Monday night game? Why were we excited about playing them now? Because we are now to a point where the Bengals, us as fans, want to see the Bengals play and beat the best. We want to play and beat the best, and we're not – this isn't a time where we have to be afraid. We're like, hey, we are one of the top three, four, five teams in the NFL. We can beat anybody. Let's go beat them. Let's go play. Hummer, it's in our Cincinnati DNA to expect the worst in sports. You know, we all remember the 2-0 lead against the Giants. We all remember Kenyon Martin breaking his leg. We all remember the 22-point lead against Nevada. We all remember Carson Palmer's ACL tear against Pittsburgh. There's there's countless times we can remember things going as badly as they could possibly go. And what as as we transition into a, into a team in a university where we sort of have that ingrained in us where we do have apprehension and cynicism and and doubt that doesn't exist with the Bengals. So whether or not Patrick Mahomes is healthy, I go into that AFC championship game feeling amazing about the Bengals situation based solely based largely on the fact that we have the best quarterback in football and we have, we have the winger winner. We have the big swing and dick. That's, that's what we've got on our roster. So you're, 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 you're missing, you're missing two people. I'd be remiss to say this because I've been such an avid defender of him all his career here. Uh, we do need to give credit to Zach Taylor. <laughs> I've always given credit to Zach Taylor. Lou, I haven't. I haven't. I will admit that. I haven't. I have not been on the Zach Taylor train. I haven't. There's times where I, I would vehemently say that he succeeded in spite. Like Joe, he, he In spite of himself, Joe Burrow led him over. But I'm starting to – I'm not even starting. I'm, I'm completely off that train. I'm on the Zach Taylor train. I think what he's done to this franchise is he's an evaluator of talent and he's able to get guys in the positions they need to be in in order to succeed, and that is the definition of a true leader. He is a leader on this team. He sets the tone of the culture in the locker room, and he allows the players to be and be their best at all times. I, I got I to gotta give props to Zach Taylor. They come in with great game plans. They, they, some of these games, they aren't pretty to win, but it's the NFL. You don't expect to blow teams out every week. They get it done. This was eight games after the, the, the winning streak after Cleveland was a brutal schedule, and they didn't lose a single game. Zach Taylor deserves props. <laughs> he does deserve props, and uh, he's he's uh, that's what I'll, that's what I'll leave my Bengals on. He's to, created he's transition. created a very harmonious environment, and <laughs> last week against Buffalo called a hell of a game. I would. I'll say this to, to all the people listening. I appreciate you sticking with us. We are moving on to Bearcat Sports. You do not know how badly Hummer wanted that segment. This is this is a historic moment in our podcast history. I know we've mentioned the Bengals here and there. That was the first true at-length discussion about the team in this format. I enjoyed it. Are you happy? Do you feel good? Oh, yeah. I've been wanting to do this for a while. <laughs> Maybe more to come. All right, Hummer, I've got a list of things that I want to make sure we talk about. Some are exciting and are and feature optimism about the future. Some are more polarizing in terms of which way you which side of the coin you fall on. And some are downright cynical. And I will not apologize. And so I'm not sure which order we're going to go in here. I'm going to spin my wheel, shuffle the Rolodex, whatever else you can do. Throw the decks, the deck of cards on the ground, pick one up. We're going to stick with football, Hummer. Brock Purdy is in the NFL championship game. He's in the NFC championship game. I'm sorry. I may have misspoke there. We're going, we're going back to the Bengals because we're talking no. about the 49ers. No. Does this make you feel better or worse 
about the Tom Manning hire? Honestly, it hasn't even occurred to me. Like, yeah, I took, I got the or the Iowa State, you know, connection there. Like, that thank you. I, bad, bad hosting on my part. Obviously, Brock Purdy played several years under Tom Manning, who was his offensive coordinator. I got that, but honestly, I didn't. I didn't take any connection to it. If anything, you have a a quarterback who is playing in the a- NFC Championship game. Has he lost it? I don't think he's lost a game as an NFL quarterback at this point. Correct. And he didn't sniff the playoff in college football. <laughs> so take that as you will. That's I don't know though. I, I honestly, it doesn't make me feel giddy. It doesn't make me feel bad. It still just kind of makes me feel meh. I think that's a good reaction. And I think I, I tend to fall into the same ballpark. I don't, I don't, look at the Bob Brock Purdy situation and say to myself, okay, this is evidence that we just got a, a gem of a head coach. In fact, I think there's you actually mean, more coordinator coordinator. I'm sorry. Offensive coordinator. I, in fact, I look at it and I think there's a couple of things that concern me. Actually, Brock Purdy was the last man drafted in the NFL draft. Mr. Irrelevant. He was a, uh, the last pick of the seventh no, 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 round. No, no, don't go, don't go this route. Don't go this route. You're the really, we're literally describing Tom Brady right now. <laughs> Tom Brady was Tom Brady was not Mr. Irrelevant. He was picked like last in the draft. Okay. And do you remember the name of who Tom Brady's offensive coordinator was at Michigan? No. No. Did he do you think that offensive coordinator did a great job with Tom Brady at no. Michigan to to lead him to be a seventh round draft pick or sixth round draft pick, wherever Tom Brady was picked? Tom Brady and his time at Michigan flirted between being starter and non-starter. They couldn't figure out what they wanted to do. At the end of the day, as you're now describing a guy who took Purdy, Purdy, last last draft pick, has to step in for whatever quarterback turmoil is going on in San Francisco to be undefeated and is now potentially playing for a chance at the championship, never relinquishing what could be the starting position in San Francisco, a la Tom Brady, never relinquishing the starting position back in, in the Patriots. I don't, I don't like this narrative. I don't like where it's going. <laughs> I don't like I the think, description. I just think you're, I'm thinking think too far ahead. I'm thinking, I'm thinking a game ahead when it's the, you're, it's, you're still focusing. You're focusing on this through a Bengals perspective, Hummer. I'm talking, ab- I'm talking about Tom Manning being the offensive coordinator of our football team. And the but fact that it, how he does it make was, you feel, how's it make you feel? Okay. It, it raises questions and red flags. It tells me, he was coaching a guy who appears to be quite good, right? NFL ready. He's playing better than any other rookie NFL quarterback this season. A class that admittedly was not highly regarded. Kenny Pickett was the star of the class, the one first round pick. Des Ritter slid to the fifth round. But despite that, Des Ritter, when he came to college, was not a guy who was like on NFL draft boards. He was a a lower ranked recruit. He was not someone with high expectations. And in my opinion, Gino, Denbrock, these coaches get credit for developing Dez and maximizing his talent and increasing his draft stock and getting him to a place where he actually was being talked about as a guy who could land between the second and fifth rounds. And sure enough, he did. Whereas Brock Purdy is the last pick in the NFL draft. And, I guess you could say Tom Manning had a hand in his development. He cert- he had a hand in it. I have no doubt about that. But it's not like his development of Brock Purdy led him to being, you know, really highly regarded for that next level. And you also read plenty of coverage from Iowa State fans and reporters who are saying, hey, it's a shame that Brock Purdy had to play under Tom Manning's offense. Imagine what this guy could have done with a faster tempo, with a more, a more modern look. And I'm just... I go back to that hire and I think, okay, we hired the guy who just got fired a year after coaching the quarterback who's now playing in the NFC championship game. Red flag. I, I'm I'm not going to go as, like I said, to me, it, it, I'm not seeing red flags. I'm just seeing a, a guy who's undervalued in the draft by NFL scouts for whatever reason. He still went nine and three, you know, at, at, um, at Iowa state. I'm just not, I'm not sitting there and in, in going to, I'm not, there's no tea leaves for me to read here. I'm just saying, does it matter if he was drafted last? What, like, I don't know what the NFL scouts see. Arm strength, accuracy. I don't know. I'm not a scout. At the end of the day, 
He's in the NFL. He obviously had skill. He led some good Iowa State football teams. Tom Manning happened to be the guy to do it. If anything, that's more of an upward trajectory for me. It's more of a positive. Maybe that's more of a recruiting cachet that Tom Manning can go and say, hey, look, I coached that guy. That guy's in an NFC championship game. That guy's playing for a Super Bowl. Come play for me. A fine perspective. I'll allow it. And it's it's actually I gotta bring a, you back from the cliff. I, I think you do. <laughs> and that's and I'm on the cliff this time. I, I won't apologize. I'm gonna pick up another card. Let's see what our next topic here is. We're watching the next great bearcat, Victor Locken. I actually want to keep this one for a minute. Victor Locken is taking a major step forward this season for as critical and skeptical and concerned as I've been with the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team this season. I feel the opposite about Victor Locken. I look at him and obviously he's in his third year, third year with the program. And is it third? Or, yeah, it's his third it's year, with third, the program. but second year playing. He was redshirted. That's right. Third year with the program. And obviously last season we saw flashes and we heard hype. We had Dermar Johnson on the podcast who recently took his talents to West Virginia. Farewell. Good, sir. We appreciate all of your support of the podcast in the past. You are a great Bearcat. And we I, told a guy, I, I, I told a guy I saw in our capture wearing a West Virginia shirt at work. And I was like, you, you probably don't know this, but you got one hell of a hell of a bench coach. You guys just picked up. And he's like, oh, my Demar Johnson. How do you not know this? Get with your program, guy. He's doubled his. He's he's more than doubled his minutes this season, going from eleven minutes a game to twenty three minutes a game. His field goal percentage has gone up by ten points from fifty three point eight to sixty three point four. He's still shooting horribly from the free throw line. That's a disappointment. His rebounds have gone from three point five to seven point five. He's blocking one point two shots a game, which is highlighted by that eight block performance at SMU. He's getting over a steal a game. His fouls are starting to get under control as we go late into conference play. And his scoring is up from 4.2 points a game to 12.6 points a game. I need to reemphasize this man is in his second year with the Cincinnati Bearcats of actually playing basketball. We have another two years with Victor Locken on the court in a Cincinnati Bearcats uniform. This is, we are looking at the next great Cincinnati Bearcat basketball player. I'm not talking or, pro, or projecting into the NBA or, or professional levels. I'm talking about what we get at the college level. This is a truly exciting and big deal in terms of the type of player Victor Locken can become for the rest of this season, but more importantly, into his junior year and senior years in the Big 12. I think you're missing the most important stat. He took his three-point percentage <laughs> from 14% to 50%. Guy needs to shoot more three-pointers. Uh, he absolutely does not need to shoot more three-pointers. I know. He has taken two three-pointers this season, Hummer. I know. He's made one. Uh, are, you bu- are you buying it? Are you buying it or are you selling it? I'm buying it. I'm I'm buying the stock right now. Uh, we said this last year, like when you saw these flashes that get him into the monster factory, right? Get him bulked up, get him bigger. Because at a certain point, big men who aren't who aren't strong and physical need to overcompensate and they foul more. When you get bigger like that and you're able to impose your will, being able to du- and create and, and create your own space, you end up fouling less and you stay in the game longer and you become a bigger presence. Get this kid another year. And this is one year in the monster factory get him a second year in the monster factory. And we're talking, he's going to start hitting some of the national boards in terms of being top in statistics, top, top, top 25 in some, some categories. He's going to be an awesome rebounder. He's going to be able to get, he has some great moves too. He moves good for a big man. He can get the ball dribble, make, make, make moves to the basket. He's going to be awesome. Everyone, we, need to get, we need to get him paired with some outside shooters. We do. We need to, we need to get some real shooting around him and, for as much focus as you hear about the young Bearcats with Skillings, with Reed, with Jizzle coming in, with Rayvon coming in, Victor Locken is classified as a sophomore right now. He is a Ooh. young player in terms of college basketball, and his productivity is insane. And this is despite the fact, Hummer, that our offense still does not run through him enough. 
the game against Memphis that we just dropped, which was a very disappointing performance again against a team with any sort of legitimate cachet. It was another disappointing performance, but the, the first half of the game, we spend it not going to Victor Lockin. And the minute we start going to him more consistently and making him a bigger part of the offense, sure enough, the results turn around. And sure enough, we close the deficit. And we actually do make it a tie game, which we inevitably concede, and we lose the home game to Memphis. But that said, all of the flashes are there that this is a big, big deal for the Bearcats, that our team should be built around Victor Lockin for the rest of this season and going into next season. He is the most important player to Cincinnati Bearcats basketball, bar none. Do you do you have uh, – I haven't renewed my Ken Palm. Um, I'm embarrassed to say this. I'm looking at, at 12 point. you mentioned 12.6 points a game, and I'm looking at uh, the two Bearcats that are above him in average points per game, David Julius and Landers Nolly. And I'm thinking about the types of shots that these two take more often being three-pointers. And I'm thinking that he takes two points. So imagine what his effective field goal percentage actually is. The guy's effective score. Right. He doesn't shoot threes. We need to be, we need to be feeding the man. We need to make teams stop him. He, and a sneaky hidden talent that's not really featured in the offense right now, because this team doesn't move the ball and they don't move without the ball is his passing. He's only averaging 0.5 assists a game. He's not right now a passer or a focal point or a guy you run the offense through. We've seen flashes of very good passing from Victor Lockin. Now, that's not all to West Wheeler's not all to blame. The other players are not all to blame for that because there is there are some elements of his game that need improvement. He does continue to need he needs continued development in terms of strength with the ball. He needs to have better hands and not ha, not have the ball so easily slapped away in the lane. Because if you are going to have the ball run through you and play in the high post and play like this poor man's Nikola Jokic game then you need to be very strong with the ball and decisive. And you need guys around you who know how to play off ball, cutting, moving, and have a, have an offense that flows in that way. So we'll see if we ever get there and we'll see if we ever unlock, unlock that skill set. I know it's in there. Extremely high IQ player. Um, but I think it's just worth mentioning that in a season that's been a somewhat dreary, that certainly lacked any sort of, mojo there's no mojo with the season baby it's did you have a did you did you get a kick out of the memphis game when you're like oh the aac could have three teams in the in the ncaa tournament and we're we're looking at two of them playing right now i had to get a kick out of that because uh guys isn't temple about to be like first place in the conference or something crazy they had clearly not really dug deep on this conference. This ta- this conference <laughs> is not bursting at the seams with talent right now. This conference is not a shoe in to get two teams in the tournament, let alone three. Now, I will say Joe Lenardi, bracketologist, does have two teams in at the moment. So- Central Florida was sort of like outside looking in of the second four out. So like they're flirting with maybe being a bubble team. We're nowhere close. We are nowhere close to Only being a bubble like, team this season. We're like ninety in the net rankings. Like we're, of course, we're not close. What's our What's our best win this season? Is it freaking Detroit Mercy? It's exactly. I, wanna, I mean, I'm saying that facetiously, but it's like at the same time we haven't played anybody. The non-conference schedule was super weak, and the opportunities that we did have to beat decent teams, we dropped them. It is what it is, and. I don't know if you're getting to this, if I'm going to steal your thunder, but no, don't let me, let me, I got to pick okay. up another card. You don't even know what's on the deck. Yeah. I've dropped pick, pick all. a card. I hope, I hope this is one of the cards. I hope this is one of the cards. I, I picked a card up. Why are people so afraid to be honest about Wes Miller's first two seasons? And maybe I should, re- let me hang on. Let me, there's a, there's a different reading of it. Are you asking me to, to why are people feelings? I am, but it, it also says, why are people hesitant to criticize? offer any criticism of Wes Miller's first two seasons. We're, we're hesitant to, at least me at first, it's because you want to be optimistic. You want to give the guy a shot. You want to be quote unquote fair. You want to appease the likes of the, the talking heads of Cincinnati sports, the, the Mo Eggers, the Lance McAllister's, the, the Bearcat journal, you know, everybody who thinks that it's wrong to say anything negative about the program immediately, 
that you it's 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 prescription to give them four years and that's fine in my mind but at the same time let's be honest right we we haven't had tough schedules we've had the same talent as as john brannon and in some cases you can argue that john brannon maybe did better with some of it i don't know but either way these teams play the exact same i don't know it's it's hard to describe it's it's and you're asking like, how can we defend it? I'm, I'm I'm losing the patience to be able to actually defend it anymore, because what I'm seeing is, and it's just going to come back to the comment I want to make before. So whatever, we don't beat players, teams that have talent, and it's frustrating. And that's that's where I'm just like, I don't get it. Where where are people? Why can't we we comment the fact that we we lost to Arizona, we lost to a okay Ohio State team. We lost to what's apparently turning out to be a very well-coached Xavier team because Travis Steele can't coach. We lost to a, a Temple, which is, you know, not a lot. We're just not beating teams that have decent talent. We're getting crushed by Houston still. We lost to a Memphis team. That's, it's okay. Talent isn't off the charts there, and we're, we're still getting beat by Memphis. We're just not seeing – West come through, and when we beat Illinois, that we all got excited about. Let's not let's not forget that coffee. That was his first game back after what a multiple game injury or suspension. Like, let's not let that cloud our judgment that that was a win against a great team at the time, right? That was a completely different team than what you see at the end of the year. We haven't beat a team that has great talent. There hasn't been any big upsets, and we expect that. The Bearcats right now are fourteen and seven. And their wins are against Chaminade, Cleveland State, Eastern Kentucky, Louisville, NJIT, Bryant, Miami, Ohio, LaSalle, Detroit Mercy, Tulane, Wichita State, East Carolina, SMU, South Florida. I don't care how bad uh, Wichita State is or how not good. I don't know how you want to describe it. I will always find it satisfying to beat Wichita State, but. It was a great way That's to go out. <laughs> I love I love owning Charles Coke Arena. No doubt. No doubt. I, I think I, I look at the situation and, and I certainly don't want to make it like an all or nothing sentiment because the two of us do have perspective that this is year two and we're not even finished with year two. There, there obviously is more time for Wes Miller to improve the roster, to improve his coaching, to install his offense, to install his defense, to install a culture like all of that has to be done and it doesn't happen as quickly for some coaches as it does others it doesn't take every coach let me rephrase there are coaches that could have taken over this program in the exact state it was in in an era where the transfer portal is king and you can actually reset a roster very quickly it does not actually take years to change a roster or revamp a roster. And Wes Miller has shown that he is willing to move players out who he he thought did not fit his system or style or wouldn't offer the Bearcats the best chance at winning. You know, say say goodbye to Mason Madsen, say goodbye to Mike Saunders Jr. Um, bring in Daniel Skillings, bring in Josh Reed. And then where the way he recruited the portal was to win this season. You don't recruit a Landers Nolly for future wins. You recruit Landers Nolly to drive wins and drive results on the court this season. You recruit a one-year flyer in Kalua Zikbe as a big who can contribute right away and help you win games this season. You recruit a Rob Finnessy from Indiana with one year of eligibility with the intent of having him contribute to your team, allowing them to win games this season. So he, as the head coach, is not approaching this thing as a break it down to the studs and rebuild it. That's not how Wes Miller is approaching this. He is trying to toe the line of getting young talent like Josh Reed and Daniel Skillings on board, start developing them. He's adding another two freshmen next season. But otherwise, he's bringing in experienced players to pair with the players that are on the existing roster and expecting to win. And they're 14 and seven. They've won two thirds of their games, but they haven't beat anyone. He has not beat anyone of consequence. And not only that, we haven't been anywhere close to beating anyone of consequence since we beat Illinois 
Uh, that's com- not completely true. We were we competed against Arkansas, but the reality is we only have one big win in the West Miller era. Uh, I get what you're saying with like you, you know being able to build now, blah blah blah. But and yes, we are living in the world of NIL, but that's not something new per se, right? We used to watch Bob Huggins go to the JUCO land and and pull out studs from 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 that that arena to fill roster holes and to, and to build for the future. But you also have to do, you also have to build that through recruiting. So if there is a mix that I see West Miller doing, I do see on the recruiting front front, some very positive. If we're talking about red flags, I'm seeing positive green flags, you know, being in the mix for Isaiah Collier type player, taking your swings and trying to hit some home runs, getting four star guys, getting, getting Jizzle and getting Rayvon Griffin going out there and actually hitting the trail and trying to do it. So that's where I'm hopeful for the future. But like you mentioned before, like I'm not excited because I see him come in and take this team that look, we were excited about these dudes when Brandon recruited them. We were excited about David the Julius coming here when he recruited them. We were pumped about it. We were we loved Micah Adams Woods when he when he first came here. Not that we still don't. I, I've Jeremiah, always loved Micah Adams Woods. Yeah, I, I don't got a bad word to say about him. We loved Jeremiah Davenport his freshman year. The issue is we've seen Jeremiah Davenport take steps back under Wes Miller. We haven't seen him take a step forward. We haven't seen him take a leap. We've seen Victor Locken take a leap, but why can't we get through to Jeremiah Davenport on that front? You know, we and that's I think that's where the frustration comes out is that this to me, this roster that we have isn't untalented. I think we have lots of talent on this roster. I just don't think it's being unleashed. I don't think it's being unlocked appropriately. I think I think they're you're not running the ball through Victor Locken. You're not making him the focal point of the offense and maybe hitting a Jeremiah Davenport open in a three because you have good ball movement and, and people running around to getting getting shots open in rhythm. I think that's where I'm disheartened and that's where I'm you know kind of starting to get a little pissed off is that we're not seeing these guys utilize in probably ways that would make the team better. We have some good shooters. This is frankly one of the best shooting teams statistically that we've had in a while. We, we actually can put up points. When you talked about the close calls on Isaiah Collier, we also know that we're pursuing Flory Badinga. You talked about the fact that he's had like those close calls, these close calls on big recruits. Close calls don't mean shit. In recruiting. Horseshoes and hand grenades. Horseshoes just, and hand grenades. But it, it's different. <laughs> it's different than on court results too. Like I, I know if you're talking about moral victories, there is no such thing as a moral victory in recruiting if you don't get the recruit. I can convince you, and I could talk you into a moral victory on the court if you see progress in terms of how the team plays. If you see consistency, game in, game out. If you see them pull off an upset or two, or compete against the a top five team in the country and kind of outkick or outplay what their talent would seem to be. Unfortunately, that's not really happening. That's sort of the biggest concern is that the, the style of play is so inconsistent and you game in game out, see the team give up these uncontested layups. You see the same piss poor shot selection. You see the same lack of accountability for, you know, mistakes that are, repeating themselves over and over again. So his nice guy approach doesn't seem to be resonating with the team. And that's not to say these things won't improve. That's not to say that once he gets his guys in here, it's not going to get a little bit better, but it's going to take a huge step up and in, in, in competition next year. It's there's no question about that. This is a massive downgrade this season. Like what he's getting to compete against in the American. And we're, we're not like by any means, uh, uh, heavy hitter in this conference it is going up about nine levels next season we're we're essentially going next year from the american athletic conference to probably the jump would be the equivalent of going from the big 12 to the nba right you're going from the best college conference to the best league in the world we're going from a very terrible basketball conference in the American to the best that college basketball has to offer. We are going to get slaughtered if we play this way. It will be ugly. We will have easily, we will have 12 losses on our schedule. Easily, just in conference play alone, if not more. 
it's going to be ugly if we play this way. And I, I don't do, do you remember going back and we, we would watch Cronin teams and like they just stand around with the ball on his own defense and someone would pass the ball around the, around the arc. And that's all they would do. And then someone would stand and dribble and then they would basically just try to drive and penetrate or just shoot the, shoot the stupid, you know, 35 foot three point shot. I feel like we're seeing that the only difference is Cronin made the guys play defense to make up for all the shitty shots they took and they missed. And sometimes I don't see us out there playing that kind of defense either. And that's also frustrating. Like if you, you can do one thing well, if you can't do the other thing, like make up for it, find out where that is. Defense is always an effort thing. I don't well, think Cronin, defense is a talent. Cronin had a cohesive strategy though. Like it was going yeah. to be, we're going to play lockdown defense. We're going to play a very slow style of basketball. We're going to walk the ball up the court. I'm going to micromanage possessions. My, my point guards are going to play very low risk basketball. We're not going to turn the ball over. And because of that, every game is going to be a grind and we're going to play better defense than the other team most nights. And we're going to win a hell of a lot of games. And it worked. You may disagree with the, some of the semantics. And of course I did. Like I, I hated the guys. It gets you know, boring at times. Like let's be, yeah, it gets boring. It has less to do with being boring. It has less to do more to do with being ineffective at big moments. That's true. You know, he yeah. he was he his offenses rarely produced in the biggest moments, and he had a loose cannon of a head when it came to um tight Who games, big situations. So, you know, we're probably on that topic too long. Um, you mentioned this guy earlier. I want to pick up the next card and let's see if there's something about it. Let's do it. Jeremiah Davenport is Wes Miller's fault. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Take a, uh, take a hand grenade, strap it onto a, a rocket and just shoot it right in the center of, of fifth third arena right there. Damn. That's fire. It's what the card uh, says. It's what the card says. Is this a true or false statement? It's whatever you want it to be. True. True. Uh, it's definitely, it's, it's Wes Miller's fault. He doesn't hold him accountable. He doesn't, he, he keeps in the game too long. Not keeps him in the game too long. Keeps him in the possession too long. If that makes any sense, you know. Next TV timeout. Next stoppage in play. He takes that bad thing. So every once in a while, you see him take up a contested three. Call the timeout. But because he's not doing that, it tells me, like you said in the past, that he's giving him the green light to take these shots. He's tell he's encouraging him to take these types of shots. And then on the press conference, like so, I don't actually think he's attempting to hold him accountable like we all want. And not that fans are necessarily the best coaches. We're not. But there's some things that are so freaking obvious that you're like, what's going on, dude? Why, why do we still have this problem? Why, do we why are we still giving – why are we still taking contested three-pointers with two seconds uh, gone off the shot clock? With, since Wes Miller took over, Jeremiah Davenport has gone from a 45.7% field goal percentage shooter – to a 39% shooter last year, to a 32.8% shooter this year. His three-point percentage has gone from 37.8 his sophomore season under John Brannon to 35.9 last season to 30.6 this season. You've seen his offensive rating go down under Wes Miller, and you've seen his defensive rating get worse under Wes Miller. Obviously, nice. Jeremiah Davenport has a level of accountability for how he plays on the court. The reason that this card says that Jeremiah Davenport is Wes Miller's fault is that at the end of the day, Wes Miller is responsible for what's happening on the basketball court. And if you have a player who plays as casually as Jeremiah Davenport does on the defensive end of the court and plays as recklessly as he does on the offensive end of the court with the types of shots he takes and the selfish approach he has, and you continue to play him 25 to 30 minutes a game, whether or not you start him is kind of moot. You still play him 25 to 30 minutes a game. And that that's on the coach. That role is defined by the coach. Wes Miller has come out in public after games for the past two seasons and praised jeremiah davenport shot selection or if not praised defended it you know saying he's a good shooter he's a shooter we want him taking those shots well there's a difference between being a good shooter and a guy who does have shooting potential 
and, and being able to discern between what's a good shot and what's a bad shot. Any good shooter can become a bad shooter and can become a liability to your offense if you allow them to take absurd and obscene and selfish shots. And that's what's been enabled. And so when I see these percentages get worse and I see these these ratings get worse, and that that to me speaks about the role of, of Jeremiah Davenport not being properly coached or ingrained by the head coach. That's that's a Wes Miller responsibility. And he didn't take it on early in his in his career with Cincinnati. He did not address it at all last year. Last year was very much like a psyche buildup year. We've talked about it at length. He was Mr. Nice Guy post John Brandon. But since then, it's not been reined in. Like Jeremiah Davenport still is just doesn't seem to really get it at all and never seems to have remorse or self-awareness or regret for what he's doing out there. He just continually does it again and again and again, making him the most frustrating player in my lifetime of watching Cincinnati Bearcats basketball. I, I find it, I find it horrible to watch. Which is a shame because it's like you're, I find myself rooting against the hometown hero, which is what kind of Cincinnati has been built on, you know, the, all the sports programs for the last few years. And I actually find myself rooting for a Jeremiah Davenport transfer. Well, sorry, I took it there. I took it there. Uh, that's, I don't know, unless, unless, I don't know. I, I just don't know how to handle it. I don't know how to handle my emotions with, with what we see because of everything you just said and everything that we see. And just, if I have to watch another three point shot, go up with a hand in your face with six seconds taken off the shot clock, like I'm just going to bludgeon my eyes out. I don't, I don't know. It's, 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 it's it results in a terrible outcome. His his offensive box plus minus was four point oh. John Brandon's last year it did actually go up to four point one last season, and it went down to one point one this season. He's he's a detriment offensively at this point. He's becoming more detrimental, um, and then defensively he's actually this is his best B D P D B P M since his freshman year, which he was getting incidental minutes. It just hasn't clicked. Wes Miller hasn't been able to get through to him. This is his fourth year of eligibility. He does technically have another year left. I I still think there, in my mind, there is a role for a guy like Jeremiah Davenport, but Wes Miller hasn't been able to get him to embrace it, adopt it, and he has had no willingness to find other options to play more of the minutes. And so because of that, you do, you don't, I don't really see a path for him to be an effective, effective player on a winning team for the Bearcats. The role, is, the role is simple. Any He can play any role as long as he started learning some patience or being coached some patience and being held accountable for shot selection because when he can hit shots, he can hit big shots, but he takes so many bad shots that it, it, it decreases the likelihood of them being made, right? He's not LeBron. He's not Kawhi. Right. He's not he's not that type of player. He's not somebody who's going to just have a hand in his face and you're going to hit 40 percent of your threes. It's don't not compare him. Happen. Don't compare him to NBA players. Compare him to Landers Nolly. He's not Landers Nolly. He shouldn't play. That's fair, as too. Such. That's fair. But even even Landers Nolly shouldn't be taking. I'm not going to criticize his shot selection because I don't I don't think it's that bad. But if Landers Nolly was taking the type of shots that Jeremiah Davenport's taking, I would argue that Landers Nolly would have the same results because they're just bad shots that you shouldn't be taking unless you are, in fact, an elite-level NBA player. <laughs> yeah, That's I mean, my Landers, only point. That's my only point. Hummer, I don't think anyone's shots – I think the team has a flawed shot selection. So I think Landers could probably have better percentages too. But that goes back to what I'm not to saying what, it's like it's not egregious. Is. It's not egregious. It's a college basketball player at the same time. I got I to gotta acknowledge that. Like yeah. for, for, for Jeremiah Davenport to have a major improvement, you're talking taking 20% less of these shots that you take, right? That probably, it, that probably brings your, your points per game up. It probably brings your, your percentages up because you're, you're not taking them. And not only that, you're probably assists are going up because you're passing the ball more instead of taking that shot. 
So you're probably dumping it down to Victor Victor Locken. You're helping your team out overall. You're raising your effectiveness on the court by not taking 20% of those bad shots. For people out there who are saying, well, hey, Wes Miller addressed it. He moved Jeremiah Davenport to the bench. I'll go since, to his minutes. <laughs> since that, since he moved to the bench against Wichita State, he went to he's played thirty minutes against Wichita, twenty five against Houston, twenty nine against East Carolina, thirty against SMU, twenty five against South Florida, and twenty seven this week against Memphis. So you've got now six games under your belt where he's averaging twenty seven point six minutes per game which is more than his season average. So since moving to the bench, his minutes per game have actually increased, which it's not, that's not a Jeremiah Davenport problem for what it's worth. You mean, you mean that's not, that's not good. It doesn't, it doesn't help winning. <laughs> All right, Humber, All right. let's uh, we we're kind of moving here to the end. I had one last topic. Do I have one what's, last topic? Is there, the are there card? any cards? What's left? the card? What's are the there card? any cards left? Uh, I'm out. There's no more cards. I wanted to. Oh. I, I'll I'll leave you with this. Bearcats are 14 and seven. They are, I believe, five and three in conference play. When we talked about conference expectations, you know, you and a few others floated out some silly. Yeah, I take all that back. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I apologize to the gods of basketball for Dude. believing that this team is, in fact, going to be a solid tournament team. What do you see in the rest of the way, though? What are you What are you looking for? How do you How do you go about assessing what this team's uh, chances are going forward? They've got a game against Houston coming up Saturday. Look, look, I'm not going to talk in, in like chances. I want to talk about what I want to see. I want to see Victor Walken continue to improve. I want to see the the him staying and be out of foul featured trouble. and be featured and be featured. I do want to see Jeremiah Davenport start to not just take some contested threes i want to see i want to see the whole offense move around more i want to see less hero ball i want to see less iso plays i want to see solid i want to see someone step up and become an elite rebounder i think that's something this team lacks is someone who's elite off the boards maybe a couple guys becoming great rebounders right i i, I want to see that because leading into next year like we're going to go into a, a, a league where that's what people do they rebound, they play defense, and they score. So, like, they do all of it, and we only do one of it. So I want to see some marked improvement in some of these key metrics to say that we're going to hopefully be ready to at least not embarrass ourselves in a transition year next year. So, like, is Lander Nolly, does he, is this his only year, or does he have another one? He could opt in for another season. It's un It's unclear whether he's going to do that yet. Do we think he has? Let's be let's be realistic here for a second. Do we think he has NBA like draft written on him? I don't. I do not think Does anybody on G this League, team G, G League potential there. Maybe. Oh, he could go pro. Landers Nolly could play pro. Let's. Not, I'm talking about like, but is it going to be because we also have nil? It doesn't What's matter. Yeah, you can What's you he can pay players. Here? You can pay players now. Yeah, yeah. he's gonna. So, if we want to keep him, we should pony up. Landers Nolly is a Big Twelve player. Landers Nolly can help this team. Okay. Perfect. So I want to, I want to see, I want to see all the, I want to see some semblance of an offense actually come to come together. I want to see, I want to see like some, just keep marking improvements. I do think we've seen some improvement throughout the year. It's just not been, it's not been night and day for where we were at the beginning to where we are today. If we played Arizona, the same results going to happen because that's the same results going to happen on Saturday when we get dog walked up and down the court at Houston. Yeesh. Yeesh. Let's let's look at the rest of the My bad for schedule. not having faith. My bad for not having faith. You you don't have to have faith. There's not much to have faith in. So we're at Houston, number 3 Houston on Saturday, 2:15. Other other games against solid competition include February 4th against UCF. We then go on to play at Ugh, UCF. That's so on, gross. We just said solid that, competition is UCF. Yeah, I mean that's pretty loose definition, but then you've got at UCF on February 19th. I'm not putting Temple in there. I just refuse. And at Memphis on 226. I got to be honest, Memphis at Memphis at Houston. Those are the two games for the team to show something. We for brought West Memphis to at home something. too. I forgot to, I forgot to like even glaze over that. We lost another game at home. 
Fifth Third Arena used to be a really hard place to come in and win basketball games, and other teams are just doing it like it's the Bearcats walking into Coke Arena. I don't get it, guys. Look, it's great to win games against Tulane, Tulsa, Central Florida, whatever. You know, I, I'm taking Central Florida out of the out of the tier I was just talking about. Yeah, please come in, on. During what this is per Chris Roland, C Roland twenty three on Twitter. It was a great tweet, and it's the reason that I'm paying most attention to to the to the Houston games, game, and Memphis, and then you know, sure, be good against Central Florida too. Here's his here's his tweet: West Miller tenure, haven't beaten anyone with a pulse. One in twelve in big games, zero and four against Houston, zero and three against Memphis, zero and two against Xavier, one and three against Illinois, Arkansas, Arizona, and Ohio State. Less than ideal. That's the reason that it matters how we play against the best teams that we have this season. There's not a lot of them. Maybe we get a conference tournament matchup as well. But in my opinion, we need to see some legitimate fight and execution and, you know, you know, maybe a win against a good team. That's what we want to see. Let's leave it there, buddy. Go Bengals. Who day? Go Bearcats. Cheers. Who day? <laughs>